I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura, wake up. Good morning. Good morning. We are doing our Bible study. We're reading a chapter a day. Mm-hmm. We're halfway through a chapter. So we're picking up in Luke chapter 9, verse 37 today. Uh-huh. And it starts with the healing of a boy with an evil spirit. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. (laughs) Excuse you, Pearl. Uh, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay here with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Hmm. Why does he say that? Why does he say you're unbelieving? They're unbelieving. Well, the disciples could not drive out the demon, right? Yeah, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Mm-hmm. So does that mean... They couldn't do it because there was the people didn't have faith. Yeah, it seems that there's a lack of faith, and it seems that they really didn't care about what the disciples said. They just wanted that they wanted the disciples to do something for them. And gotta remember that. I mean, where did Jesus just come from? He just came from being glorified up with. Moses and Elijah, and then he comes down the mountain and he's thrown back into unbelieving people. So it's like this, you know, high point. And then he comes back down dealing with demons and these people that don't believe in him. So, if they don't believe in him, why are they asking him for help? Because they're just looking to Jesus to get something, but they're not. They don't believe in him as the savior, but they believe in him as a powerful being that they can manipulate or his disciples that they can make do something for them. Hmm. I'm looking back right now. I was wondering what other people called him. Um, Called Jesus? Yeah, like the sick woman who like sneaked up and touched Jesus. She calls him master. Mm-hmm. This guy just calls him teacher. Do you think that shows anything? I don't know. I wouldn't. Is I mean, he maybe saying like, I don't read too much. Like you're not God. You're just a teacher. Maybe. I don't know. With his disciples. I mean the other nine disciples waiting there. Maybe they were just waiting for. The one who had taught them to drive out demons. I don't know. Okay. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. 
While everybody was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to the disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. This is confusing to me, too. Why did he tell it to them so plainly? And then it was hidden from them. Well, they would remember what he said, but they wouldn't put it together. And then later, when it actually would happen, and they put these pieces together, they would know that this is something Jesus had been talking about the whole time. He didn't change his plan as he felt the leaders of the church closing in on him. He knew even when no one was attacking him, they were just wanting something from him that everyone was so they turn would on remember him. it, but they didn't. They didn't grasp it in the moment, and you know, try and protect him or anything. Hmm. But they would know this is always part of God's plan. Okay. That's what I see here, at least. Okay. All right, Luke chapter nine, verse forty-six. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is the least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Do you have anything you'd like to say about that section? No, just, well, very quickly, just the disciples are kind of starting to get a big head, you know. This is like an exclusivity thing, and they were just proven that they weren't as great as they thought they were. They weren't able to drive out this demon. And then... You know, they just want to be special. They want to be special believers. Better than other people. And comparing themselves to what other people can do. Rather than just being happy that God is using his power to push the devil away. Mm -hmm. So he's saying... People, other people could be driving out demons in my name. Mm-hmm. And just because they're not one of the 12 doesn't mean they don't have gifts. Yeah. Okay. So is this somebody you think that met Jesus before or just maybe like Simeon and Anna, someone who had a relationship with God the Father? I think there's there's other cases as well. Um, I think in Acts, didn't we read about the sons of Sceva, right? Mm -hmm. The seven, the ones that are driving out demons in the name of Jesus but really don't have much faith in him. I think that, I mean, God is powerful and... 
they were using his name and yeah it's it's kind of a strange thing that someone I mean they must be a believer to know that God is more powerful than the devil and they're looking to God to do something good um, but whether or not they had the same level of instruction as the disciples, well, they definitely didn't have the same level of, of instruction. Whoever is not against you is for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a little confusing because it... Well, yeah, I'm trying to think of the other examples. I don't know why I'm thinking that there were false prophets driving out demons in Jesus' name. I guess if they were using Jesus' name and it's working, then they're not false prophets. Well, there are going to be some people that, um, I think on Paul's missionary journey, bar Jesus, is that sorcerer on, oh, what island, whatever that island is, and he starts to just want to use it to look powerful and gain this great name. Um, the Apostle Paul rebukes him and I think turns him blind as well. But at this time, I think it's just people are drawing attention to the power of Jesus and how great he is. The key to everyone is not, you know, what power that they're exhibiting. It's always doctrine. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but that's we how you tell someone's for about- you. What else he's doing or saying. We don't. There's not a lot of details here. Mm-mm. But at this time, at least, they're not going to be stopping the disciples from preaching and teaching. Okay. Yeah, they're not. I guess. Yeah, it's as plain as the sentence. If they're not opposing them, then it doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, it's for you. It doesn't mean that they're at the same level as you or they are. Um, level, I mean, you know, they're. Sure. But in a complete agreeance, but why are you complaining about those people? They're not trying to stop you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Do we hear about this in many other accounts? Not sure, but this is... I mean, it's, there's definitely a theme here for Luke. It's people misusing or misunderstanding or uh, valuing incorrectly the, I guess, earthly powers that the name of Jesus brings to them. You know, you have the disciples wanting to stop people from using Jesus' name to drive out demons. You have the disciples wanting to curse people in the name of Jesus. And you have the disciples not being powerful enough to drive out a demon. 
So there definitely is a uh, learning curve or just a, I don't know, definitely a misunderstanding at least of the power that God has given to them to do some of these things. Even though they've just recently been sent out, you know, to drive out demons and heal the sick. A chapter or two ago. Or is that coming up? I'm sorry, I was reading something That's that fine. wasn't totally paying attention. No, to they sent out the disciples, yeah, right? Yeah. To heal the sick and yep, stuff. They did that already, yep. And now they, so they had this power and they don't really understand the proper way to use it. And he's just kind of rebuking them. Okay, so the note I have on verse 54. Um, do you want us to destroy them even as Elijah did? Some manuscripts say that. Hmm. And then another note says, James and John were known as the sons of thunder. It doesn't say anything else other than that. So is that saying they were nicknamed that? Maybe because they were doing supernatural. No, they're nicknamed that because they're. I thought their father was Zebedee as well. And that means which, thunder. Which means thunder. Ooh. Well, I thought because it was like lightning or thunder, they're doing this often or something. I don't know. I don't know. I've pictured it like they're like they're like called their namesake. You know, they're the sons of thunders. Like I got this big head of power like we're the sons of thunder. We can send down lightning from heaven, you know? Right. I don't know why that note is there on verse fifty four. Anyway. Yeah, so they got like two yeah, I guess the part that's confusing about what we were just saying is sometimes things, you know, Jesus is like, dust your feet off and don't go back there. You know, like, treat mm-hmm. them this way. Or, you know, someone comes to Jesus and says, heal me. And he's like, of course, you have great faith. And then someone else says, heal my son. And he's like, you unbelieving people, you know, just kind of like, the, the accounts are so short, we don't really know. It doesn't say, like, this man had no faith. You know, just all of a sudden Jesus says, you're an unbelieving generation. And then, you know, in some cities, I don't think he ever advocates calling down fire from the sky, but, you know, like, just seems yeah, I mean, like, well, I don't know. That surprised me that Jesus did that. You know? Kind of like... Oh, yeah. I, he could have gone either way on this. And then the account is like, no, Jesus told him, don't do that. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And I think that when you look at how these are grouped together in Luke's mind, all of them aren't really rebuking the people. You know, it's not rebuking the Samaritan town. and He's not rebuking the guy casting out demons and... The big thing about the people there not having faith, like it really is aimed at the disciples over and over again, that they're kind of riding high on this new power and they don't understand it and they're abusing it. 
So I think it's more, yeah, it, it's not rebuking the, the person that hasn't learned God's word. This is rebuking someone who is a, a strong believer and starts to get a ego about their faith or their power. And I think that'll be clear as we move forward into the next section. But okay, does that make sense? Or? Um, not really. Not really. I mean, I see what you're saying about a lot of it's about the disciples, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to say Jesus is harsh because Jesus is often very forgiving, but I'm trying to think of an example where he is. Is like, if the people here don't accept accept me, then let's, whatever, blah blah blah. Like, he sends when he sends out harsh. the twelve, shake off the dust yeah. of your sandals. And here they're. When the people find out he's heading towards Jerusalem. Um, they did not welcome him, so well, I mean, this, it doesn't say they're the, being mean, but they say they don't welcome him. But it's because they're Samaritans. I understand. Please don't go into the history of this. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying that's the that's the reason. I know, but he is. They said, "Do you want us to do this and rebuke them?" So he just kind of leaves without a fuss. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he has to make a fuss, but I'm just saying, I feel like there's other times and examples where he has or would. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I just don't know. Anyway. Let's keep going and see if it's clear by the end of the chapter. All right, last section in this chapter. Uh, Verse 57, the cost of following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. The man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. That's the end of the chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so here are extremely strong examples of uh, commitment to Jesus and I mean burying your dead is you know if someone's parent dies that's like their responsibility to them and saying goodbye to your family these are important Jesus is just telling them back to the whole point of just how difficult it is to truly be a disciple of Jesus and when he talks about, you know, Elijah should call down fire from heaven. He did that on that mountaintop, you know, with the prophets. And when Elijah calls Elisha, um, Elisha does. He goes back and he, he says he has to say goodbye to his family. He does. And then he um, takes the animals that he's plowing with. He has this big feast and then he burns all his plowing equipment. You know, it's just a complete devotion from the life before to the life that they're going into 
Mm-hmm. So again, I think he's just challenging the disciples to understand the commitment that they need to have. But it doesn't really say anything about the disciples in here, does it? It's just I think it does when we take it in the man. context of everything else. I'm sure they're there. But it's like he's talking to different people. It says like a man and a different man. Yeah, but it's someone else wants to be a disciple. Someone else mm-hmm. wants to follow Jesus everywhere. Okay. Yeah. You're still not convinced. Oh, I'm... <laughs> Just, about my theory you know it's it's the morning i'm just taking it all in thinking about it um yeah it's he's showing right they have a lot of power they need to use it correctly and it's not easy being a leader in the church or a follower of christ i think this is a little it's not just like following christ is hard the title says the cost of following Jesus, but I think it's more about, yeah, fit for service in the kingdom of God. I think it's more about church leadership. Yeah. And more specifically, the leadership that the disciples had in this early Christian church mm-hmm. with these special gifts of the Spirit. Right. And one other note I would just add is like this part about bearing your father. The the understanding I've had, and I see it as a note here in my Bible, is that his father was not actually dead, mm. but he's saying he wants to wait until his father dies. You know, mm. like, wait a few years when my father's dead, then I'll do it. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's like, not that he's like a dead body just sitting out and he needs to go put it in the ground but like let me bury my father means um let me go be with my father in his final years and then i will you know when my family Mm -hmm. needs me less then i'll come something like that um the note here says it could have been years away and then the second note on this verse 59 says jesus told him that the spiritually dead could bury the physically dead and the spiritually alive should be busy proclaiming the kingdom of God. Hmm. That's, I mean, I don't know. These are just the notes in my Concordia self-study Bible, so it doesn't necessarily mean it's 100% true. It's a interpretation, right? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I don't think about very much that. Because you do hear that with people. Oh, well, I'll become more spiritual when I have more time or this or that period ends in my life and right there's always an excuse to Mm -hmm. have a different god than jesus right but i guess so week nine it took us a couple days to go through it but yeah it's about like who jesus is Mm -hmm. sends out the 12 meets the five thousand. Peter says who he is. Then he shows who he is at the transfiguration. There's some more evil spirits. Who will be the greatest? And then the cost of following Jesus. So, yeah. I'm just taking it all in. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot in each of these chapters. So, mm-hmm. understanding the why maybe God put each of these stories in the Bible. 
why this author's personal style was to group these stories in these ways. Yeah, and the chapter numbers are not inspired. I've said that before. But it's this thread, you know, that or this theme, I guess, that um, comes up here that those that put in the chapter numbers saw as some sort of section. Hmm. And I do too. I think it's going to follow through with the next part of it with him 70 not the 72 but we'll get to that tomorrow yeah chapter 10 starts with sending out the 72 and then i can see on that next page it's the parable of the good samaritan so there's a lot to learn a lot to take in i'm still kind of confused about i don't know like (laughs) i want to say what would jesus do but (laughs) you know like you read it and if someone would have stopped and said how do you think Jesus would respond to this person? I would have guessed, oh, he would say this. And, you know, and then a couple of these things we just read, I think I'd be wrong. What I anticipate Jesus saying or doing isn't, but, you know, like, I don't know the whole context of of everything, Mm -hmm. but it is teaching us something. And when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he often challenges them and pushes them to be these great leaders. And it's different than how he responds to someone that is very weak in their faith, you know. To the proud, you know, he humbles them, and Mm -hmm. to the humble, he exalts them. That makes sense. I guess I'm just thinking of the man with the demon-possessed boy, and he says, you unclean unbelieving people how long will I stay here is he talking to the disciples or the man and the group of people because that doesn't sound like he's talking to the disciples sounds like he's talking to the man who just came and asked him for help and that to me just seems a little harsh no I don't think he's just upset at the father Plus, the father is the one that did not have faith in Jesus at all, and that's why the disciples were not able to heal him. Right. That's true. I mean, he could just be speaking to every single person in general. <laughs> People just gathered around to see a sign from sure. him. And... Right. But, I mean, again, that's like context that we don't have because every one of the stories starts the same. A man had been blind from birth came to Jesus or a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years came to Jesus and then he's like go your faith has healed you in this case he's like you're you're so unbelieving mm-hmm. I mean it's probably because he didn't the disciples weren't able to help him I guess when I first read that I thought like I don't know not like there's ranks of power but Jesus gave the disciples power but Clearly, this man knows Jesus is more powerful than the disciples. That's why he pursues it up the chain, you know? Mm-hmm. So in a way, it shows he does have some sort of, like, understanding or faith. Like, well, these people are just men doing signs in Jesus' name. But if I go to real Jesus, then maybe my son could be healed. I don't know why I'm, why I'm giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> like, he might not well, have he does faith. heal the son eventually. Right. Right, he does. So he must have it. So why does he say? I don't know. That that line just 
caught me off guard. I should just let it go because the rest of it, I think, makes sense. Well, so. I think it's something to wrestle with, you know. It's it's somebody has a weak faith that he's rebuking. Is it the man or the people who are surrounding him waiting to see a miracle? Or is it the disciples had weak faith, so that's why they couldn't? I think it's it? either the man or the disciples. And I think it's it has to be aimed at partially the man. Okay. Alright, well, let's wrestle with it for another day. And maybe, like you said, it'll make more sense when we get to the next section, so... Okay, well, have a good day. All right, till next time. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura wake up.